0: This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast.
1: Hey, it's Robbie and coming up on today's episode of the Offscript podcast, we're focusing on local rugby and a club that is shaking things up and creating international headlines in the process. From the story of a young lady who only took up the game two years ago and is now representing her national team to the appointment of former England captain Dylan Hartley as the new head of men's rugby Dubai Sharks, is a club that's going places. We'll also hear from the club's president and the head of women's rugby. Another former international. But first, it's Dylan who joins us for a
0: chat. The Offscript Podcast.
2: Hartley gets to the try line. The skipper out to Hartley going to score right in the corner. His first
3: try for two seasons. Dylan Hartley for the draw team. Swings one out to Hartley. Hartley to PC. PC doesn't need Artemio.
2: And Saints score! Brilliant finishing again by the powerful Saints skipper. The powerful Saints for Dylan Hartley. We've stitched you up a little there, Dylan. We found a clip, your first try in two years. You didn't score many. Oh, man, what an intro. <laughs> <laughs> you're getting ready to knock me like, anything. you're kind we, of patting
3: we, me on the back and kicking me at the same time.
2: <laughs> Welcome oh, to Dubai, Dylan. We had to do
3: that. We had to. No, good on you. I didn't know I had a bloody highlights reel. Yeah. Of, uh, if that was a highlights reel, that was probably it. was.
2: It. There was a few tries in there. We had to find something. We had to dust out something because, hey, listen, Dylan, you are a legend. And you're pitching up here to Dubai with the Dubai Sharks. I guess, first and foremost, congratulations. Great announcement, this. Not only for the Sharks, but for rugby here in the United Arab Emirates as well.
3: Yeah, thank you. It's um, truly, uh, I suppose, a privilege to to be here. It's something that, um, you know, just a, a little sort of thought and then a thought, a few questions asked, and then all of a sudden we're moving the family halfway around the world and I'm here and uh, it's, it's all exciting listening to 20 years of my career crammed into 25 <laughs> seconds of a highlight. Um, but it's it's honestly, it's, it's funny how uh, you put these things out there and you can... Um, yeah, it's the stars aligned. There's some good people involved that, that have made this happen. Hasn't happened overnight. There's been uh, some good planning and like I said, uh, some good people integral to the, the move. We last saw
1: you, I think, Dylan, out for the Dubai Sevens at the tail end of last year. Um, and I think we actually caught up with you quite a while back. Um, yeah. Just as you, uh, as towards, towards the end of your, just prior to the announcement that you made in 2019 that, that you were hanging up the boots from international and, and club rugby as well. Can you kind of talk to us about how this all happened before we get onto your remit with the dubai sharks you say conversations uh, was it all very organic were were there were, were you being stalked by various individuals how, how did
3: it all play out it's probably me you know i, I came to the sevens uh, the thing is you know I, I committed myself for 17 16 17 years professionally uh to to rugby in the, in the uk and um I suppose I'd always wanted to go to the Dubai Sevens. I could never play in the Dubai Sevens because one, wasn't athletically good enough and two, I played 15s in front row and I wasn't good enough, you know? 15s is my game. So the the Dubai Sevens was always um, something that I wanted to go to and enjoy. And then equally, I'd probably frequented Dubai probably ten times over the last ten years on, on holiday um, when I needed some sunshine after a season. So I've always had um, a love of the place. Uh, I do understand that living somewhere is different to holidaying somewhere. Of but um, you know, when, when the opportunity came to come to Dubai Sevens uh, as a, I suppose a coach of the Bali Legends and, and the Vets team, I jumped at it. You know, I really wanted to do it. Uh, I came out here and then I got a little bit of a taste of of what life could be. And I suppose rugby kept me in the UK. But then when that chapter kind of closes, you know, a new one starts. And I I look back at um, my career. At 16, I left New Zealand to pursue a rugby career by myself to the other side of the world in the UK. And look what happened, you know. It was pretty uncomfortable. It wasn't easy. But through that sort of um, uncomfort, I suppose I, I scrambled and I made it work. You know, I had to make it and I, and, uh, I suppose I, I did make it. And then I suppose now I look at my life and it's quite comfortable in the UK. I mean, I still live there now. I haven't moved out yet and it's quite comfy, but I kind of think maybe it's time to mix things up and, and challenge myself again. And, and ultimately with a, a, any pro sportsman or woman is, you have to transition at some point. You have to get to Civvy Street or the real world, you know? Yeah. And what's happened with this move is that Access Hire, who have I suppose facilitated and let's be honest, funded this this move because they're employing me. They give me an opportunity to explore business um, and transition to that real world while allowing me to keep a foot in with rugby and the Dubai Sharks. Ultimately, because that's the other thing when you when you play professional sport is you acquire 20 years of experience and. Uh, IP, I wouldn't call it intellectual property, but there's <laughs> it, something in my head. There's experience and knowledge of rugby. You know, I can speak that language. It'd be a shame to leave it behind. And I actually yeah. love, I love the game. So... But the reality is oh, I've got to go work and do something else. So
2: let me ask this question then, Dylan. How much pressure are you putting on yourself to come in here and actually have an impact? Because naming no names, but again, there's, and it's not just in sport. We've seen a litany of individuals. I've had friends who have arrived here with, with great ambitions to, to make their fortune, to do what, it, what they, they want. Whether it be meet someone, meet a family, make their millions, whatever. Hasn't quite worked out. Are you coming here with ambitions to say, hey, you know what? I want to take the Dubai Sharks where they are, raise that level. I want to raise the level of rugby across the region. What does Dylan Hartley want to get out of the relationship that you've just kind of come into?
3: Uh, I want to naturally achieve. You know, I achieved with my my sporting career. Um, But like I said, that finishes and I still have an itch. I want to achieve elsewhere in life, uh, whether that be in business or... And ultimately, for me, it's the experience. You know, I'm going to give my young my young family um, to mix things up. Two to, kids. Yep, two kids and a, and a wife to broaden their horizons, and experience new things. So, that for me is is success. You know, you know, millions would be nice, but I'm not here for that. Um, I'm here. To, to experience Dubai, to experience living somewhere a different culture, uh, make ourselves uncomfortable and, and find our feet ultimately. And I think when you think of Dubai Sharks, is we have aspirations as a club to play premiership rugby. It's not a lofty one, you know. It's From where we are now, it's still some work to do. But by doing that, we've got to look after our youth section. Mm-hmm. So we're not sitting there saying, you know, we, we want to be World Cup winners because that's unrealistic. What our long-term vision is, is we want to compete on the big stage in the UAE that's not too far away, you know. Um, and then ultimately, we want to be winners as well. How do we do that? We need to look after our, our youth and mini section, which is thriving—350 kids. But we need to retain those kids, boys and girls, to play, to play senior men's and, and women's rugby, to be able to compete. So, when you ask me, you know, what what are my ambitions? To take the sharks here and do this and then win something within the first year? Nah, no, no, no. It's 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 long term, being realistic, but also ambition. Because I wouldn't sign up to something mediocre no. or just to come here and just, bleh, you know, an easy life. I want to to add. If I'm not adding, I don't, you know, I don't feel good. It's not fulfilling. So,
1: but Dylan, I mean, a lot of the sports out here. Chris and I have have kind of lived out here a long time, been covering sport and the, the way it's grown and evolved. And a lot of sports suffer from a lack of community, which I don't mm. think rugby does. I think rugby, of all the sort of sports that have thrived locally here, uh, does have that community spirit that sort of drives it onwards and has allowed domestic rugby to attain a level of success that, that other sports have not been able to attain in the last sort of 10 10 years or so but from coming out here to your first sevens and sort of making trips out here and i'm not expecting you to obviously be an expert on the local rugby scene but what's your perception as someone who's played at the highest level and has achieved the greatest things in the game what what's your sort of perception of where dubai and the uae is at domestically in terms of the level of the rugby and the sort of infrastructure around rugby out here
3: uh, there's a lot for me to learn and understand and I've got quite a broad role as director and I suppose part of that is understanding the, the landscape. Dubai is no different to anywhere in the world. There is a community here. The rugby community is a very, I suppose, uh, unique and special uh, community culturally. You know, mm-hmm. Every rugby club around the world, 99.9% of them are run by the same people. The same volunteers, the same people that, do, you know, chairmen, presidents, the, the the coaches, the mums, the dads, everyone adds and contributes, so Dubai is no different to anywhere else in the world. And that's why rugby is quite special. Um, and I suppose what is, what, what, what is evident here is the support, like every rugby club around the world, that keeps them alive. Everyone has their own struggles, every kind of grassroots club kind of um, has its challenges. Um, but the people and I suppose the businesses involved you know Axis Hire and McGittigan's have literally just doubled their sponsorship 100% uh, this season so that sort of commitment long term from, from businesses that keep these clubs going and keep them thriving because again you know with, with the Sharks we don't just want to, to plateau and just sit where we are we have aspirations to, to grow and to grow, you need to provide a service or a club or a community that's worth being a part of, a fun place to be. The rugby needs to be good, socially it needs to be good um, to retain people and bring new people. So the the landscape here, uh, I can only speak for the Sharks because that's all I've seen and what what I know about. But whilst the the rugby's great, it's ticking over nice with the, the youth and the minis, we want a challenge on the big stage. But equally off the field, what I've noticed It's a hugely supported club, which is the main thing. And when you think about support, it comes down to people. And, you know, people, you know, rugby around the world are good people. Like I said, 99.9% are the same You know, at every club.
2: And I should point out as well, it's not just you. There's all new, there's individuals, new faces popping up all over the shop when it comes to Dubai Sharks. New coach in the shape of Matthew Putner, of course, signed from Dubai Hurricanes. That's made a bit of a splash here in the UAE. He's bringing along as well as two coaches, Pat Benson and Josh Ives. Josh Ives, of course, Robbie, we know very well from Fighting Fit. And the feeling is with those three, huge strides can be made on the training field this isn't about plucking the very best the gains can be had on the training ground you're excited with the coaching team the, the team and I say the team because it's not just you Dylan there are various other faces and names behind the scenes are you confident that that coaching team can help Dubai Sharks to success?
3: Well, 100%. I think um, their appointment um, deserves a radio show and uh, probably not me sat here, but I suppose as director of rugby, you know, You're I've got to... Sure. Oh, it's like You're playing again, doing, doing the media stuff. So, uh, you know, it's hard. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a job in itself, but... Um, Especially when the studio is this hot. I know, oh, mate. <laughs> Face for radio and all that, but I can see someone filming this. It's terrible. But, um, no, do you know what? I'm genuinely... Uh, you know, my, my knowledge. Of, you know, we talk about the landscape of the UAE. That big names on the scene here. Yeah. And for me to to have those guys, it's not my team. It's not their team. The team, own, you know, is the, yeah. the Sharks. That's their team. But to have such an established coaching group who know the UAE uh, and are well respected here running that team coaching that team is huge for me and I suppose me I've, I've said to Putes as I call, he's my friend now he calls me boss um, <laughs> but I said I'm here to assist him you know I'm not here to he runs this this team this is his rugby team to, to run basically he knows how it works here and if I can help him um, and equally you know I suppose this is where um, I'm going to commit to it um, on national radio here but I suppose th- you asking me what I'm going to do here. You now my network within the game. I want those coaches to offer them the opportunity to go and work Fire. with professional organisations. To, to go because being being an England player and a Northampton Saints player, every week we had junior coaches from all around the world from Portugal, Spain, developing countries. Come in. You know, the, just the rugby network. Anyone can go do it. You obviously need to know people, but Eddie Jones wouldn't say no to these guys coming in and observing Frequent. for a day, a week. Um, you know being the ball boys basically (laughs) but I want to be able to offer those guys the opportunity to improve their coaching if they can learn one thing and apply that to the Sharks senior side the, the women's side benefits the juniors it all filters down so I want them to develop I want them to become better coaches and if they want a coaching career why not have aspirations to coach at the highest level for them as well so I, I want to um you know I've just committed to that um, geez, Oh it's dangerous they're yeah. basically going to coach England one day <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you do that that's
2: the exclusive on buyer 103.8 Dylan I might get a right hook for asking you this question you and Eddie you back talking yet what's the crack
3: we, we have a, a, a do you know what, a great relationship do you yeah genuinely genuinely love the guy um too easy to focus on I suppose the negative connotations around um, ultimately him being my boss uh, but I see him as a a mentor and uh, learn what learn so much from him uh, so much so that you know I actually love uh, I work at a within a school at the moment mentoring kind of aspiring athletes and whatnot so the stuff I've learned from Eddie is is gold and the fact that he actually sent me a few papers the other day that to read and whatnot we, we have a great relationship and um ultimately it's one of those things that you boil it down to is you got to respect the person that eyeballs you looks you dead in the the your eyes and says the truth you know but then gives you the tools to, to build yourself back up and man what what a what a guy
1: it is part of the kind of contro not controversy is the wrong word but the sort of uh, disagreement around eddie and certainly his role the fact that he can, can, can come across as callous and very blunt, I mean, I think that's, that's, that goes without saying. In a world where sports stars are more sensitive yeah. to that kind of treatment, we see it more in football than rugby. Rugby guys tend to be sort of less, less precious when it comes to that kind of thing. But is Eddie a bit of a throwback who perhaps rubs people the wrong way in this current sort of climate of sensitivity, would you say?
3: Yeah, I would. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned the word blunt. Um, you know, some people might see that as a negative or, you know, I certainly see that as a positive because I see that you know, he's not blunt. Or um, You know, I've had managers, coaches that, you know, they, you know, they take a long while to say what they want to say then they don't actually tell you the truth because they don't want to hurt your feelings ultimately. Eddie cuts all that noise or rubbish out and just goes straight to the point. And I think you've got to respect that. Someone that's willing to say or speak their mind when he knows it's going to be splashed across every news desk every yeah. news station and I think if we look at it from from your side and I, I do a bit of media stuff now myself he's brilliant you know sport sport's supposed to be interesting you yeah. know if it was all your favourite team wins and if we all said the same thing because that happens a lot I've done my media training you know I said a lot of the same stuff over and over found different ways to say it Eddie says what he thinks he's blunt he's to the point it upsets a few people but I'll tell you, as a player, I loved him because for years we tiptoed around. You know, rugby's values are great, right? Respect, humility, all these things. Discipline. Yeah, which which is which is great for the, you know growing the game, and ultimately fall back on those things, and they're important to have those things. But when you're playing international sport. You want to win. It's all about winning. There's no point being humble and respectful and whatnot unless you want to win. And we, you know, under under previous coaches, we didn't even talk about winning. We were too scared to say we wanted to win. And ultimately, if you don't live the way you speak, you're subservient, you know. Yeah. And he came in and said, no, nah, no, nah, I'm conscious not to swear yeah. on radio. Stuff that we're here to win my team is going to beat the other team up we're going to physically dominate the opposition so as a, as a captain I'm sitting there going okay I like the I like this language and then I communicate that to my team and we, you know the coach has said it we've got to go do it we've got to go win come on
2: he's that way I remember doing a podcast with Matt Gitto and, and Matt said yes to that he also said we're bloke Eddie you would never really know the siege mentality that he would build up I think I've likened them to Jose Mourinho from what I understand Josie to be like and Eddie to be like and, and Matt Gitto tells the story that it was his birthday and Eddie said Matt not drinking tonight goes into the bar have a drink Matt no you've told me no have a drink Matt and he laboured this point for hours, and Gates said, "I didn't know whether it was coming or going. I didn't know. I lost sight of what's right and what's wrong because he's in my head. And he said it stuck with him all these years later. Eddie Jones, you just never really know where you stand with him. Is that accurate, or is that just Gates?"
3: I think it's um, you know, I alluded to a bit. We had a bit of a chat on stage, but. Keeping an environment on its toes, he likes the unpredictable, or he doesn't want anyone too comfortable. Mm. You know, he, certain of things. You know, I don't mind telling stories like this. How are you today, mate? And you say "Good." What do you mean, good? You know, what what's good? How, what's wrong? Or if you said you were tired, you know, I, I know one player that was sent home for being tired because he said, "I'm
2: tired, gaffer," and he sent him yeah, home
3: on a Sunday night. He just played, and you know, but that echoes around the corridors, you know. That player goes back to his room and says he's tired, his roommate's tired. There's four of them in there playing PlayStation and you got four tired players. Whereas you send that first tired player home, no one's tired. He wants energetic players. So I think his unpredictability is... It's a strength of his. It's certainly you know no one's comfy in his presence. While he's a very charismatic kind of rugby guy, lovely to, be able to sit and have dinner with the guys. Switches off. How's your wife? He sent my wife flowers once. He sent all the wives flowers. Dinner. But he 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 cares. He thinks about those things. You know you're away on tour for you know Six Nations is what eight nine weeks long. You come back from a, an away victory and you've got frame photo of your family in your bedroom. Every player's got that. He thinks about those things and you don't hear about those things. You hear the truth and they can't handle. Of the truth, so they go to the media and they, they cry about it because he's looked them dead in the eye and said you're not good enough, which is true. This is this is international rugby. So, um, I, do you know what? I look back. People say what do you, what do you miss about the rugby? You miss the camaraderie? No. do You miss playing? No. I miss that sort of unpredictable higher power in and in a, a, a gaffer or a manager that drives you to be better every day. Get on the line. You're doing fitness at the time. Hated it, but what's keeping you fit at the moment I had a higher power in Eddie that I wanted to perform for I wanted to be in this team because being involved with a winning team is, is, is a great feeling you know yeah. so no I, I learned a lot from him You know, I got to experience the amateur days um, under the kind of Martin Johnson's with the amateur crossovers of Simon Shaw's, Mike Tindall's, had a whole lot of fun doing that as a 21 year old player. Didn't really achieve much in the game, played a lot of rugby for England, but didn't win much. But then at the end of my career, had high performance, didn't have so much fun, didn't touch a drop of alcohol in that period, you know, but look win. at what we achieved we won 18 test victories on the bounce we went back to back Six Nations we go to Aussie for the first time in history and we beat them down there three on the bounce it taught me you know the, the higher you, you go up the harder it is you've got to apply yourself
1: uh, as as England captain what was sweeter for you Dylan the, the victory against Australia first ever I think England team to win a series down there or the Grand Slam earlier in the year
3: I think Grand Slam earlier in the year um, I got handed that captaincy uh, off the back of England's kind of World Cup exit in 2015 home World Cup final uh, World Cup and they didn't even make it out of the pool stage and I mean you know in classic sort of irony I wasn't involved with that I was suspended at the time so probably the best thing that happened to me yeah because I basically got a captaincy you were untarnished by by that that association fingerprints weren't on that right Um, so you know there's other factors that contributed to me getting the captaincy but um, I think just that vindication personally that I'm good at my job you know i You know, I was part of a good team, you know, but we'd been bridesmaids in that tournament, Six Nations, you know, runners-up for four years in a row. And then the first season we come in and every sort of interview I went to, every sort of captain's press launch. And as a captain, you do interviews probably three times a week. Everything was about me and my discipline, and I hated talking about it. But I'd made a rod for my own back, so I had to talk about it. And then I suppose the week that we win that Six Nations Grand Slam, first time in 13 years, personally. Um, so yeah for, for me and then the, the tour to Australia after that followed success just it, it just brewed and it manifested and we just kept going and going you
1: were on a roll at that point
3: it was yeah but you know we we, we and you, we only see 80 minutes on Saturday. You know. I wasn't on a roll Monday to, to Friday. She was, she was hard yakka I was, I was on. I wasn't at base camp on Everest. I was, I was at summit without any gear. Self, 16. You know, I was kind of. I've always been a bit up and down with my body weight and stuff like that. Was kind of undulating body fat percentage. But I look at myself at 2016 to 2019 when I kind of retired. I actually looked kind of semi-athletic by the time I finished, and that came through Eddie sort of saying you you're not fit enough, you're overweight, but then gave me the tools to build me up and, yeah. and physically improve, you know? So I look at my rugby got better as I got older because I applied myself and I had good direction and mentoring from someone like Eddie. I love that.
1: Did, didn't actually, we didn't actually ask you, when do you officially start? Do you know when your first day in the job is? So we can maybe doorstop you there. <laughs>
3: probably probably today. Uh, you know, this, i a back-to-back back back media session. This is like playing yeah. professionally. Yeah, it is. It's a throwback.
2: <laughs> no rest for the wicked now that they're in they've got you under the table the feet we're are peppering
1: you with the same kind of questions about international rugby as well
2: but it's fascinating <laughs> and, I, and seriously and I've got to thank you because I know you're here to talk to Dubai Sharks you've answered our questions on all things Eddie Jones and I just want to wrap up on international before we take it back full circle to Dubai Sharks World Cup next year my beloved Scotland are not going to win it from what you saw in the Six Nations I must say Dylan I'm excited by this French team Antoine Dupont is getting the the plaudits he deserves I can't help but think your beloved England missed a trick with Sean Edwards he's made a difference as defensive coach are France the team to beat from what you've seen
3: Right now, they're the yeah. team to beat. But you, you got to remember, you know, the, this French team, they were under-20s world champions. Yeah, they were. And France are really bold. And this is the great thing about planning, right? They ov- it's very un-French, which makes me think Sean Edwards has something to do with it. They've planned long-term. They took a hit for two seasons. They lost Six Nations. They weren't really... They were, You know, flip-flopping, winning games, losing games, they weren't performing consistent Yeah, Very French, inconsistent, but they could play. Whereas now it feels like they're clicking. They're starting to, well, they are winning. They are the form team in the world. And then it's just a dangerous thing with timing. They're a year out from a home World Cup. It's like the start post, and I can relate to this, We kind of alluded to before, but a home world cup brings a whole different sort of dynamic. And I think it's hard to shut out that pressure. You can talk about it and say there's a sideshow, there's a circus, don't focus on it. But it can work either way for them. And being French, they would thrive if it goes their way. You know, if the crowd get behind them and that, that that extra belief comes they will be the team to beat but say you know they don't perform they lose a pool match but still go through the crowd could get on their back and then self-doubt creeps in all these sorts of things so tournaments and especially World Cup rugby uh, you know it's a completely different beast and on home soil they could be a completely different beast in a positive or negative connotation So, in short, South Africa are winning it. (laughs) (laughs) It is amazing. Okay, what about England, Dylan? Okay,
1: England have just had a, let's be blunt here, like Eddie would do, a shocker in the Six Nations. um, Even though they came into it perhaps with not quite sky high expectations they certainly didn't perform to that level that they were expected to but then we are a year out plus from that uh, that, that uh, World Cup in France so do England have the talent pool and the sort of resources do you believe to, to mount a challenge?
3: Yeah so this is, this is a really good thing and I think um, it's a, if we've got kind of English rugby fans listening or just general rugby fans you know a, a year is a long time in rugby and I'll throw you back to 2018 so Then we'll talk about me, me, me. But 2016-17, we won back-to-back Six six Nations. Everything's great. We've just talked about that. 2018, we came fifth. The worst in history. I never talk about that. Like, we just sweep that one under the carpet. Yeah. But we came fifth. England are terrible. Sack Eddie Jones, they came fifth but guess what happened a year later they go to World Cup final and they're they're close you know a different day they can bring home the bacon effectively so what I'm saying is like England didn't have the perfect six nations this year and a year is a long time in rugby Eddie would have learnt a lot about that English side and you got to remember going into this tournament it was a little bit disjointed we weren't sure who was going to play fly half where's Owen Farrell the captain the test captain Tom Curry captain's that first you know side I would have taken the points and drawn with Scotland yeah. I'd, I'd much rather go back from Murrayfield with a draw against a, a competitive Scotland side now you know when I played we used to beat Scotland it was like playing Italy <laughs> yeah. it was like that, play Tom. with one eye closed I remember, um, that.
2: remember those no, but genuine well.
3: Scotland at I'd call them an upsetter now. Yeah, they're, they're not the underdog; they're an upsetter. So Wales are an upsetter. Ireland are genuine contenders. France are genuine contenders. Um, so Eddie would have learned a lot about that side. So. I don't want to get too technical, but the last game, uh, Freddie Stewart, the form fullback in England, was played on the wing, and everyone's saying, "What the hell are you doing? Why?" You-? But he plays George Furbank there because he learns something. Freddie Stewart gets injured in the World Cup year. Who's going to play full- fullback? Yeah. So he once. This is my mindset, and I'm pretty sure it's Eddie's mindset. England go to win that tournament every year, and yeah. once they can't win that tournament, I, I, and I'm sh- sure Eddie uses that. As a learning exercise, mm, right. I mean, uh, there's other nations I won't mention, but that rhymes with Hales and um, <laughs> a few other that celebrate just being England and coming third or fourth. You but, know, no, it's fair. We 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 just want to win that tournament. As soon as we can um,
2: And and you're right. It's what you say. Because I remember Ireland, Ireland and Brian O'Driscoll. We spoke to Brian at length about this. Ireland did the opposite. They peaked a year out. We thought Ireland are going to be great. No, they've hit. They hit their heights. 12 months out from the World Cup, they were on their way down. It's about timing it. It's then we're at Razi Erasmus. He takes charge of South Africa, what, nine months out, maybe a little longer, 12 months out from a World Cup. We talk about cycles. Eddie Jones, fat, just hell bent on cycles, four year cycles. Razi Erasmus proved nonsense to that. You can win World Cups in 12 months time if you get in and you've got a structure and a way of playing and the players buy into it this nonsense that you need to have long term planning as Eddie has been wedded to no you can get results you've just got to have the right idea do you feel Eddie with that players at his disposal do you feel that the plan is there to win the World Cup next year
3: yes I think building into that tournament though there needs to be this is the thing with sport. Every coach keeps you on edge, and you're never a sure thing in the team. As, ca- as captain of England, I was never a sure thing. He made me work every day to earn my spot. And did you genuinely feel like that? I felt like that, and I got the well, I got the workload to 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 prove it, you know. Um, but I think there's a nice sort of balance between a team being established and I don't want to say comfortable, but mm. combined or gelled. You know, knowing what that 15... As an English supporter, you should know what that 15 looks like going into a game. You should be able to close your eyes and, and say, oh, it's going to be this without looking at the team, you know. Um, at the moment, it's a little bit chop change. Yeah. And I think as soon as this season happens, it will be um, a, con- a continuity from last season. That's when you'll see, OK, he's had two back-to-back seasons playing for England. Uh, he will be in the World Cup at 10. You know, Marcus Smith, where is he going to play? or who's the nine going to be. Um, so, yeah. And then the thing with someone like Ireland who have always peaked too early is that there's a massive thing with being the the hunter or the hunted, you know. Um, it, it's all very well and I've experienced this. When, when, you, when you play for England, everyone hates you anyway and they just want to beat England. But imagine this is how good the All Blacks are. Everyone wants to beat the All Blacks. Everyone raises their game to beat the All Blacks and they still don't beat the All Blacks. But when you're Ireland, you're not used to being yeah. effectively the All Blacks. They beat the All Blacks yeah. now. Can they sustain that? Can their game evolve while still being good? Because they can't just keep doing what they're doing because everyone studies them now. It's like France. Everyone's studying France, how to beat them. So France have to evolve while changing what they're doing. They're moving the goalposts. It's like as a player, we did this with with Eddie. Like, why are we changing? but we went on to win 18 test victories in a row What I don't like this you know I like what we did last week and the week before and the campaign before because that worked for us but other teams are watching that doing it so uh, there's a strength there I think in, in a good side like Ireland and France the All Blacks and someone like South Africa is, you know, you have to evolve while winning as well.
1: And historical precedents as well, because even though those players, those individuals, may not have reached a World Cup final, the fact England have reached three World Cup finals since 2000, the fact South Africa, these nations, New Zealand, of course, um, I think there is a mental hurdle for the likes of Ireland to, to overcome in that they've always disappointed at a World Cup. And those players will always be reminded of that. And it will be kind of difficult for them to rewire or sort of rejig that that kind of narrative in it, a way it's funny
3: because as much as you can think about it people do carry baggage from, from history yeah. you know because do you know why because we talk about it and we write about it and people read and it's the tell. same with
1: Real Madrid in football they get propelled to you've so gone into finals. a different realm you've gone into oh, a different no, but, but realm but it's true me. isn't it it's the it's same true. with Liverpool and Real Madrid they get propelled to these finals in part because of their historical success in the Yeah, you
2: feel you feel taller you feel nine feet tall to go back to what we discussed a little earlier and I guess it's the same it's the self-fulfilling prophecy in a lot of ways that the All Blacks are all conquering therefore those new guys in the jersey feel feel nine feet tall and playing for the All Blacks and good enough I'm, we, we're destined to be in the latter stages of these tournaments and I guess for Ireland for Wales for my beloved Scotland we just aren't and that's the sad reality but of
3: it I suppose those are teams that um, I suppose carry that that added burden of pressure yeah. or expectation well there is that which is a, a great tool I suppose but then equally it can work the other way like we talked about with France at the home World Cup I hope for their sake it, it's a positive impact on them you know um, but yeah fun, I completely yeah. agree uh, some teams seem destined for for knockout kind of playoffs and, and finals and some teams are just the kind of also rans. and when we take this mental blueprint
1: and apply it to the Dubai Sharks we're going to have to watch out for them on a local club rugby scene Bill. oh
2: yes we are Dylan oh,
3: dangerous isn't it I'll sit myself up here no we, we have um, we, we kind of covered it earlier we have a, a long term sort of realistic goal of, of being you know, competitive in the premiership and ultimately winning um, some stuff down the line i won't put a timeline on that but right here and now it's about looking after our kids and uh making sure we're inclusive girls women's rugby as well providing a good sort of rugby experience for anyone that wants to come down and it, this
1: and is that's why rugby working is closely great. with the schools i assume as well to to invite pupils and I, I would imagine that's schools, how
2: schools always I mean the guys here Dylan and, and the team and it's like all the team not just the Sharks the Hurricane Saracens you're all working I, I've said it before on the show and I'm not just saying this because Dylan Hartley's staring me down rugby do, does it better than any other sport your, your, your youth your grassroots and HSBC have got a part to play in all of that the grassroots to the seniors no other sport does it as well and that will be and you'll quickly find that out dylan that you've got an opportunity to see young kids it's giving them the pathways through to your senior team and you know what i'd love to see over the course of the next five ten years however long you're here retain talent here see the talent pool grow and see the ue premiership actually be a real good standard it already is and i don't mean that to be disrespectful but to see international players say hey dubai standards good enough for me to make a living and to stay here and play my rugby here and that's the next big step and I'm excited for the future with you at it. The other thing I was going to offer you, media work, when you're over here, don't be a stranger, we'd love to have you in when you can spare the time, I know you've got kids you've got the day job, you've got Dubai Sharks but never be a stranger with us Dylan.
3: I love that and I'll take you up on the offer of, uh, golf, of golf as well we can discuss that over the course, thank yes, you Yes, we will do
2: just that, thank a little you, everyone. bulging disc to sort before that and a bit of gout, you've never had gout have you ever had gout Dylan? <laughs> What's gout? <Never.
1: laughs> I was hoping you'd say yes Dylan Okay, right. It's not an athlete's disease, no, Chris.
2: It, it really isn't. Right, Dylan Hartley, he's going to be here. He's moving over here with the family in July. He is the new men's director of rugby, Dubai Sharks.
4: The Script
1: Podcast. I tell you what, this special guest gives hope to you, Chris. She does. A late bloomer, she in does. A variety of different sports, <laughs> um, and hopefully your gout will allow you to take up <laughs> said Don't sport. tell I've
2: got gout. For goodness' sake! <laughs> but listen, we're, we're we're really
1: delighted to be joined by a young lady who is making some serious waves she in is. the world of not just rugby locally, but rugby internationally as well. 25 years of age, born and raised in Kingston, Jamaica, and Andrea Sewell joins us now live in the Little Shark tank apologies for the heat Andrea yeah because we've been we've we've been radiating heat for this last couple of hours but thank you so much for joining us nonetheless
4: thanks for
2: having me guys Uh, can I get uh, straight away into this Andrea because you only took up rugby how long ago Uh,
4: just about 18 to 20 months ago 18 to
2: 20 months ago and what did you do two weeks ago
4: um, I represented Jamaica in the Rugby America's North World Cup qualifiers.
2: That is all right, then round of remarkable. Applause, I think. That, that is remarkable. That so, is amazing. Let's unpack all of this, because tell us a little bit about yourself first and foremost. 20 months, you fell in love with rugby. What were you doing before then?
4: Um, so mainly for sport. I mean, growing up, I only really played tennis and swimming. And then since being in Dubai, my main thing has been CrossFit. So... I've been doing CrossFit almost every morning, and then one day some of the girls decided to come to CrossFit and say we're going to rugby.
1: Was this kind of, Were they building a team? You know when you see these movies where they go out and get a team of ringers who are athletes? <laughs> yes. were, there, was that, were they plundering CrossFit for the fittest girls in the UAE?
4: Um, I guess basically you could say that the Sharks didn't have a women's team at the time, and so they were starting it from scratch. So when we started the team, we actually ended up having... Four girls who'd ever played before and everyone else was brand new and mostly from CrossFit. Oh, wow.
2: So four girls who could play, the rest of the team had never run onto that paddock and thrown or chased the egg before.
1: Were you aware of what rugby was? I mean, you you were familiar with the concepts of the game?
4: I'd, I'd seen it on TV before, but honestly, I'd never really, I never watched a whole game. If it was on a bar in the screen behind, I'd never
5: really pay attention to it. So. so this is something that you came to starting from scratch with most of the team, actually. At what point did it start to become a bit more serious for you rather than just a recreational thing to do?
4: probably when the Jamaica opportunity came up last year. I think it was always just, I mean, the motto of the, well, the hashtags of the club are serious rugby, seriously social. So we were very, very social our first year, being a new team and then when we came back after the summer break and we decided that you were going to be a little more competitive this year, I was like, okay, great. And then the Jamaica opportunity came up and I was like, Oh wow, okay. Let's let's get very competitive then.
1: Well when you said the Jamaica opportunity came up, I mean that's that's pretty unprecedented I would imagine, for someone to take up a sport a couple of years ago, if that and then suddenly get an international call up. Talk to us about how that, that happened and how that transpired.
4: It's a really funny story. So basically, I didn't even know Jamaica had a rugby team till last year I. this time. And um, well, they have very, very nice jerseys, like really nice jerseys. So I DM the Instagram page asking where I could buy a jersey. And uh, eventually they replied, and whoever's running the page must have looked on my page and seen that, oh, she plays rugby. And their response was, why don't you come rep the country? I said LOL, they said LOL, and um, the conversation started <laughs> from there.
1: Very modern Sorry. day conversation. Yeah. 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 Wait, now 99 times out of 100 you'd have been speaking to a bot, <laughs> but you were actually speaking to a real person. Yep. That is unbelievable.
2: So, uh, that is unbelievable. Uh, again, you, like you, Andrea, I wasn't aware that Jamaica had a rugby team. So I guess the, the million dollar question, please tell me they paid for your flight down to the Caribbean. You didn't have to pay that yourself.
4: Unfortunately, this tournament was self-funded for most of the Caribbean oh, islands. Wow. We don't have much funding for So all the teams, Trinidad, Curacao, Turks and Caicos, most of the teams were all self-funded. But once we got their accommodation and transportation, everything was taken care of by the union. So
2: in order for you to get an opportunity, with your country of birth, you had to pay for your own flight down there?
4: Um, for certain for certain competitions, um, depends on who is funding the competition. So this time it was hosted by Bahamas Union and it was impossible.
1: Okay. So how was it?
4: The whole tournament? Yeah. Best experience of my life. Like one of the greatest weeks ever. Um, we obviously, the team was brand new. We had, we brought 13 and out of it, 10 were new caps We all live in six different countries, and so we'd only ever really met on Zoom before. We had weekly Zoom team meetings, and so we all get there on Tuesday and just start having all our meals together and talking to each other and just actually meeting each other and... We trained for the first time together Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and played the tournament Saturday, Sunday.
5: I was going to ask how it works with you living over here, and you said the six different countries that the team is from. I mean, how often are you guys going to get together and compete? How does that work for you living over here? Well, we've really, since the tournament, we've
4: had a debrief in kind of how we want to move the team forward, how we want to grow the program, and something we're trying to work out is how we can commit to at least doing twice a year camps where there isn't a tournament on the end of the training camp. And um, obviously when more tournaments come up, being able to get there. So I think we've had some opportunities like um, recently in January with the Spain Sevens World um, World Series, Jamaica men and women were invited at the last minute. You guys would have seen Jamaica um, men went, but at that last minute we weren't able to get a whole women's team there. The tournament was Friday and we found out Tuesday.. Oh, wow.
2: Yeah. So that's from an international perspective Jamaica, fantastic to hear that A, they've got a men and women's team fantastic that they're making strides what about taking it back locally and the work that the Dubai Sharks are doing of course we're down here with the team here you are a proud member of the Dubai Sharks talk to us about the landscape here in the United Arab Emirates is it competitive, are there a lot of ladies playing the game of rugby
4: yeah, it's it's a huge sport here. So this is this is the first place I've ever been exposed to rugby and there's I think there's 11 teams in the league here for women's. Um, all the girls are so nice, so welcome. They're so strong, so fit. It's just it's a whole new world for me really cuz just never really been in the in the environment before and I, drink, I think just uh, getting into the whole the sport's different right it's it's nicer it's fun competi- it's fun competition really so it's good
1: and how have you kind of caught up because a lot of the girls would have presumably been playing rugby since they were young kids and you've taken up the game late and it's it's difficult to sort of learn yeah, those learn those motor skills that you would learn as a kid that become kind of second nature you're kind of learning them from scratch how how have you how have you actually gone about doing that andrew
4: well, you know, the good thing here is that we've got really great coaches at the Sharks. I mean, first season we had Charlie Taylor. This time, this time we've got Gilles Vandevort, and they're really good. They're really patient. And what's also good is that the team is fairly, because we started as a new squad. Everyone was kind of starting from that okay. beginner, teach us how to throw the mm-hmm. ball backwards stage. We've all grown together, and I think that's just been really helpful. We weren't a super highly established competitive team when we all started, so we could all grow together. Right.
5: How surreal is it for you to stand? on a pitch at an international competition representing your country and then sort of think back to two years ago where you didn't even know really anything about the sport. Do you ever like stop and take stock of that while you're out there? No,
4: like when I was really on the pitch, I didn't think I, I wasn't thinking that far back. But now looking back and reflecting, like it's actually when I was leaving Dubai because I took the really long flight Dubai to Miami, Miami to Bahamas. So, before I was boarding for that 15-hour flight, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is about to be the greatest honor of my life. This is crazy like it's it's amazing what can happen when you just say yes it's
2: amazing mm. it really is I guess the other question to wrap up on are you still doing a bit of crossfit or is that now oh. p- 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 being put to the wayside
4: definitely have to do crossfit I mean came back Saturday night and went to crossfit yesterday morning and to this morning I've got my training partners Emma and Orlo so I mean I have to
2: I wouldn't mess with you that's for sure
4: <laughs>
1: Chris Thank you sure. fancy joining one of their crossfit no. sessions no would you have Chris along no, no.
4: Come on.
2: Six AM CrossFit is so much fun. Kill me. And I've got a bulging disc in my back and I've got gout oh, right now. Well, here we go. So I've got loads of jigs. I thought exercises. you didn't have gout. I've got gout. I'm thirty-five years of age, I've got gout, I've got a bulging disc. I've got a voice that is hardly a voice. I'm broken, yeah. is what I am. And that's before I even get to the CrossFit gym.
4: That's fine, we'll break you some more. Exactly. Yeah, there you go. Like Great it.
2: attitude. That scares the life out of me, so it does, Andrea. Well listen, amazing story. Keep doing what you're doing. Buy you. sharks of put. Poo- no, you know what? You've put Dubai
4: Sharks on
2: the map, is what you have, uh, representing Jamaica with great distinction. All the very best for the future, Aiden. Thank
4: you so much. Thanks for having me, guys.
2: The Offscript Podcast. Yeah, welcome back to our broadcast 10 here McGetskins jlt tell you what rob get used to the shark tank it's it's a beautiful location a big thanks to dylan hartley a credit to himself a credit to dubai sharks uh, and a credit to the man who has joined us now in the shark tank because the man who he's not going to like this what i'm about to say but he's going to take this on the chin the man who's made it possible in a lot of ways i know a number of individuals has made it possible but it is the president of dubai sharks mike quinn mike Congratulations, Dylan Hartley, the new men's director of rugby. That's some coup, my friend.
0: Evening, gentlemen. How are we doing? Um, Some coup. i still got to pinch myself, to be fair. Is it crazy (laughs) to think that
1: a former England captain who's won a Grand Slam, who's won a tour down in Australia with the national team, is now the director of rugby at Dubai Sharks, Mike? Do do you know, um,
0: (laughs) we, we... over the last few months myself and Charlie as the chairman we've had a a number of conversations and we've come off those conversations with Dylan scratching ourselves or pinching ourselves saying how how is this happening to us but you know um, when when the stars align the stars align um, we we were very lucky to have Dylan come and manage the Bali Legends last December which allowed us and afforded us the time to be able to have a conversation with Dylan just to find out who he was what he was about and more importantly I think Dylan started the conversation that he was moving over it was interesting what the Sharks were doing. We explained our story. I think we bored him a couple of times. Um, but it, he, he actually understood what we're trying to achieve and the buzz around the club at that time because we had so many, many, many junior kids that just joined us. And it, it was just a start of something new. And I think he saw that. And I think that's what he was keen to be part well, of. Well,
2: listen, let's be respectful here because Dylan's only one part. He's only one pillar in what you're doing with the Dubai Sharks because it's fair to say, I won't call it revolution, it's evolution and the lady sitting to my right plays a key part in all of that as well because you've got a new head of women's rugby she herself is a former international former international sevens player for South Africa plus 30 caps it is Kristalina Steinhovel and uh, Kristalina thank you so much first and foremost for joining us you yourself are new to the role how exciting of an opportunity is it for you to join the Dubai Sharks family
6: hello Um, I think the same for Dylan is that we both come from the sport background and to step into something new um, after our sport career what we bring it's it's daunting but it's exciting and we want to move on and we want to share our experience and and knowledge and intuition and everything Um, and for me especially with women we know it's a male-dominant sport we know not many girls play we know um, schools don't have as many girls involved so for me coming into the women's director role is for me is like very important Um, and I think we me and Dylan will work well together to see how we can uh, mix the two and just like bring it forward as one. So I know it's two separate entities, as such, but. I've got my passion. He's got his, and we've got all of the knowledge. Like, yeah, so it's going to be good.
1: We caught up with uh, Andrea earlier, who has an incredible story. As someone who's only just taken up rugby in the last couple of years, is now representing Jamaica, uh, which is quite extraordinary. And it seems like there's a really passionate group of girls that have that have kind of formed the nucleus of the club thus far. What's the sort of ambition to to kind of spread the wings and, and get more involved? And and how how do you go into the community and kind of spread the word, short of sending all are in and recruiting a bunch of people
6: <laughs> yeah she's good at that uh, she's very good at that oh uh, we are so proud of and andrea um i mean i've only been in dubai almost three months Oh wow! almost some fresh whoa. green um i played three tournaments with the girls i've seen the potential that they have um, obviously after a career like Dylan said you kind of lose your your passion or your drive a little bit you're looking forward to the next chapter and coming in to play with the girls they've reignited my fire just to enjoy the game again and uh, watching someone like Andrea come and get a Cap for Jamaica there's so many big things coming I'm sort of like getting goosebumps because putting yeah. on that jersey for your country there's nothing like it so we w- we're looking at establishing a under 19s um, girls section and essentially that's your feeding system isn't it and Dylan touched on that that's essential the enjoyment the community the development is what we're looking at
2: yeah it's important Crystalina, because your remit isn't just a senior team we're talking all the way down yeah. to the wee ones we're talking grassroots here as yeah. well it's not just about the women it's about getting girls involved in the sport of rugby as well, Mike knows this because I've said it so many times on this show, said it to Dylan just a moment or so ago, rugby does it better than any other sport I believe in this country it really does and testament to Dubai Sharks and all the other teams from a grassroots standpoint rugby is so far ahead of the rest that must enthuse you That I'm not going to say your job's easy but it's easier when you've got such a talent pool of young girls and boys keen to pick up the game of rugby
6: Yeah, it's actually, it's actually incredible, like I didn't see that in South Africa, so for me coming here and seeing that influx of, of girls having an interest in the game is absolutely incredible for me, so that excites me, but it also means that if they bring it i can bring it and and we can bring it and we can the coaches can bring it so it's challenging and making it fun and like to have that instead of having to motivate that first is already a solid foundation.
2: Tell you what, you've done well on the recruitment here, Mike. Dylan and (laughs) Kristalina, I mean, you should be giving a pay rise to whoever the one that's recruiting these two. But seriously, though, the future is bright. And I I guess the million dollar question, why now? Why is such investment going into people like Kristalina and Dylan? Why are Dubai Sharks investing heavily no.
0: Look, you know, we uh, for many, many years we had a dream of having a mini junior section. That came alive at this sort of a, a year ago. I think we spoke last yeah, August we and we were talking about it then. And um, that came alive for us when you've got that many kids turning up on a Saturday morning for coaching you've got to find ways which you can help them develop, help them aspire. You know, we're we're very lucky here. We've got so many great facilities, but we need to be able to give kids something to aspire to. So when they leave here, you know, they they want to come back to the the Sharks, but when they do leave here, they go with a skill set that allows them to go to other academies around the world. And there's no doubt you're going to be doing that.
1: And just a quick final one, Mike, in terms of like muscling in to use a bit of rugby parlance on the sort of, uh, I guess the established hierarchy here in, in the UAE, um, what's the time frame for that? Dylan spoke about having quite high ambitions when it comes to sort of what the sharks want to achieve at the highest level here in the country. What kind of time have you placed a timeline on it?
0: Um, it's very difficult to put a time frame on it because you, you, yeah, you can put the coaches in place. Um, to, to coach the squad around you but you've, you've got to bring the players with you in the same way um, we're, we're not going to go out there you know poaching players from other clubs but what we're trying to put in place is a coaching system that players will want to be part of it might happen next season might happen five seasons from now but you've got to do it in a sustainable yeah. way to make sure that when you do get there you're not going to fall back down no. you've got to do it both from a sustainable playing perspective and a financial perspective I'm
2: excited for you and I'm just not seeing that because you're staring at me. I'm excited for the future of Dubai Sharks. It is exciting. crystallina you're going to play a key part in that. We thank you for taking the time out to have a big chat with us this evening. Thank you so much. Mike Quinn, thank you for your continued support for us. No, we'll thank you, gentlemen. To support you guys. Congratulations, Crystalina, Dylan Hartley and the rest of your team. Big things expected of Dubai Sharks. You've got a target on your back. Big thanks to Dubai Sharks. Big thanks to McGedigan's JLT. team, of course, last but by no means least, big thanks to each and every one of you for tuning in. It's been a fantastic broadcast down here by Sharks. You know what to do. You can follow them across social media. We are on there as well. Big things expected. Rugby on the map. It's going to be a big year ahead from all of us here. McGettigan's JLT, Offscript. Until then, folks.
0: The Offscript Podcast.
5: We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.